Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. It's Ash Wednesday. We are officially in the Lenten season. Whether it came too fast or you have been looking forward to this, for some I know it's their favorite time of year. Do some deep soul work and We're all about that here on Trending, so every day we'll have content geared toward conversion, growth, transformation, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. So if you have a question or want something to be heard and discussed here on Trending, we'd love to take those topics up. You can always email me at trending at relevantradio.com. Joining me in just a moment will be professional matchmaker Christina Pineda from Matchmakers in the City, taking five steps to take if you find yourself single on today. St. Valentine's Day as well. Happy St. Valentine's Day. We're also taking tough dating questions. If you have a question, go ahead and feel free to reach out on social media. You can ask me by messaging me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. We put up a question box on social media, or you can give us a call the good old-fashioned way. I would love to hear from you. The toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. We'll dive a little later on today into the significance of the ashes that we're wearing today. What does it mean? What does it symbolize? What are some of the biblical roots of it? And also, what is almsgiving? The church calls us during the season of penance to engage in that three-part penance of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Each day should incorporate in some way one of those three things. What is almsgiving? Is it just giving to the poor? Is it just tithing? We'll take a deep dive a little later on here on the show. Now, if you think, hey, I forgot about St. Valentine, we actually dove into the story of St. Valentine yesterday here on Trending, and I hope you'll go and listen to the podcast. It's available now. Just head over to wherever you listen to podcasts, or even easier, check out the free and new and improved Relevant Radio app. Get your get your prayers, get your reminders for shows, podcasts, all there on the Relevant Radio app. Joining me today on Trending is professional matchmaker Christina Pineda from Matchmakers in the City. Christina, welcome back to Trending. Let's take a dive into what some call National Single Awareness Day. I like to think of it in a different way this year because it is National Singles Awareness Day, especially if it's Ash Wednesday. Ladies, you know who all the single Catholic men are because they're labeled in public with ashes. So get to know, introduce yourself, get out there, and vice versa, gentlemen. Uh, welcome, Christine. It's good to be with you today. Good to be with you too, um, Timory. It's so nice to talk to you as always. So you have five tips. If you find yourself single today, maybe feeling a little frustrated by it or wanting to spruce up your dating life, what are those five tips for singles on St. Valentine's Day? The first one is to read Rachel, Rachel Hoover Canto's book, Pretty Good Catholic. It was just published by Vianney Vocations this month, this February. It just came out, and it's so near and dear to me. 
because Rachel started the Sacred Heart Singles. It's now called the Nashville Catholic Singles Group in Nashville. And in its infancy, she had me give a talk to the group before their first speed dating event. This was when Rachel was single. Then at her first speed dating event, she connected with her now husband, even though she had met him before and wasn't interested when they first met. They recently got married in January. So every all the advice that she's talking about in this book, she actually put into practice in her own dating life. And we see the fruits of it with her marriage. I can't say enough good things about the book. Rachel interviewed professionals, including myself, and included a lot of matchmakers in the city wisdom in there from listening to you and me, Timory, and our discussions on trending. She also listened to our podcast, my sister and co-founder Alessandra Conti and my podcast, Dating in the City, and brought it all together in this must-read book for singles, including those who are dating and in relationships who are discerning marriage. So it's not just for the people who are very, very single and not dating anyone right now. It's for people who are also in relationships, discerning marriage with that person. And just, it includes so much wonderful, wonderful wisdom that I really wish everyone would get this book. So it's for predominantly living that Catholic life while also navigating the single and or unmarried years, it sounds like. Yes, exactly, exactly. And she doesn't promise that you're going to get married after reading this book, but it will definitely put you on that train track if that's what you're looking for. But it also will have you open to God's will for your life. So you'll be more open and receptive to what he wants for your life and what you want for your life. So let's dive into the five steps. Is this your step number one for navigating if you're single on St. Valentine's Day and steps to take? Yes, that's step number one. Step number two, start a Lenten 40-day dating fast. There is a 40-day devotional book by Katherine Becker called The Dating Fast that you can follow, or you can just read a little bit of Rachel's book every day. Just because you're not dating during this time doesn't mean that you shouldn't learn more about dating. And you might think, okay, well, I'm single. I want to be in a relationship. Why would I do a fast? The reason why is especially a fast is important if for you, if you see unhealthy patterns in the people who you've been, who you've dated in the past and maybe unhealthy relationships, common threads of what their flaws are, all of these things, very important to take steps back from dating. When I was single, I actually did a nine month dating fast following what popular Christian author P.B. Wilson recommends in her book, Your Knight in Shining Armor. It was published in 1995, but still was very relevant when I was doing the fast. And I always recommend this book to women who need to refocus their dating energy. I also just want to say a little caveat about this dating fast thing is don't go overboard. Nine months is enough at a certain time, (laughs) don't keep repeating it and make sure that you're not just avoiding dating out of nervousness. Mm -hmm. Do it because you need to, not because, oh, I don't really feel like dating right now or you just have other excuses that you know are getting in the way of you. Maybe you're just being cowardly about it and need to get some, have some courage to date. I was actually talking to a friend the other day who got married in her 
mid to early 30s and I asked you if you were single today what advice would you have because you, you've been in that season and she said don't be afraid to throw yourself out there but also don't be afraid to step back and take seasons of not dating because dating is exhausting you always have to put your seemingly best foot forward and you need times just from that perspective I think especially for women to take a little break and ease up the pressure yes I think so too and that's goes into my next step, which would be discern religious life. Also Love seems it. counterintuitive to someone who's single who wants to be in a relationship for Valentine's Day. But it's important for everyone who's single to take this seriously because you're choosing a vocation and God has given us a vocation. We have to continually see what his will for, for our lives is. And we want to be going along with that will, because that's the only way that we will find true happiness. A lot of people have grown up in families that maybe this wasn't something that wasn't a career option for you when you were growing up. And that's why you, when you're taking a step back from dating to look at the different orders of religious orders, look at diocesan life, look at do retreats, go to monasteries, go to convents, do the come and see retreats there, silent retreats of your own at monasteries. I did many of those when I was single and it will, they will be fruitful, whether it's to show you that you're supposed, that you got, that you want to be a monk or a nun or a priest, or that God is saying, no, that, that we're closing that door. I want you to continue dating. I want you to continue seeing that path out and you have more joy in that mm -hmm. rather than going to doing religious life. And I love this part because I get so sick and tired of people telling me, and I know this might sound insensitive, people tell me, I know I have a vocation to marriage. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. but you don't know you have a vocation to marriage until you discern marriage and family life with a particular person. And I really do think on the flip side, similarly, people say, oh, I know I don't have a vocation to religious life. And I'll ask, oh, well, you know, how have you discerned? They're, oh, I've just thought about it. And great, if you prayed about it too, wonderful. But you need to discern. I love that you mentioned going and spending time with various religious orders because each religious order has its different calling. It's a different rhythm to the day. The difference between a diocesan priest versus a religious, a hermit versus not. There's so many elements that I really do think you need to get your feet wet, getting to know different orders and different states in religious life as well. So I'm so glad that you throw this in as one of those five steps to take if you find yourself single on St. Valentine's Day and it's time to take some steps forward. Exactly. And then on the flip side, you can spend time with married couples and their families, their children, ask to babysit for them if they will allow you one night to get the, give them a night out see what kids are like. <laughs> I mean, it's never going to be the same as your own children, but some people are just so obsessed with the idea of getting married and having children, and they don't see the other side of the realities of what the wonderful, beautiful, joyful realities, but still, it's a lot of work. So are you saying tip number four is to spend time with kids and actually babysit them to see what you think? <laughs> That wasn't one of my initial tips, but we'll just include that one as a bonus. <laughs> it's a bonus tip. <laughs> no. But tip can I just throw a caveat in there? Because I do think yes. I, I always get a lot of flack for this. 
I've never really been a huge fan of children. Love babies. Right. 100% pro-life. I think children can just be bratty and awful. And I, I really do chalk it up to parenting today. Another topic for another day. However, I love my children and I do love other children as well, but it's navigating. Sometimes people don't like kids because maybe they've only been exposed to bratty kids or, you know, people who don't know how to parent. There's so much to be said there. Or maybe you had a younger sibling who always annoyed you. And so when you think kids, you think that needy sibling. I think that there's much to be said of like, I get what you're saying of spending time with kids, but at the same time, it's different when they're your own. I completely agree. Timory, and when you're choosing who you want to ask to babysit, I would th- keep that in mind. Who is living the kind of life that you aspire to live? And then ask to babysit those kids. Mm, that, I, I think like that. that would be more important than just any random friend of yours to ask. It's not, I completely agree. I was the same way. I, I really did not like most kids, but you're, you're right. I love my own children. I'm raising them in a certain way that I want to, I want to see them be little gentlemen. Yes. I have a nightmare in the back of my head. Just thinking about this. I remember volunteering for vacation Bible school. It was a one and done situation. I will never do it again. It was the worst experience. I was in high school. I remember going home at the end of the first day. I'm like, not going back. Nope. Not going back. Mom. No. And she said, no, you made a commitment. You're finishing it out. And it was tough. Uh, But it was one of those things. If that was my experience with children, my only experience There are reasons why people sometimes say that they wouldn't have children again or wouldn't have children to begin with because of the negative experiences. So I think there's so much to be considered and discerned there. But let's dive into tip four. We're joined today by professional matchmaker Christina Pineda from Matchmakers in the City. Diving into five steps to take if you find yourself single on Catholic Awareness Day. You got the ashes as the public servants announcement. Check out the hand. Ring, no ring. Okay, there's your in. Or also known today as National Single Awareness this day because it's St. Valentine's Day. So let's shake it up. What's tip number four to take if you find yourself single today? Go to the Young Catholic Professionals Annual Convention in Dallas this coming April 2024. My co-founder and sister, Alessandra Conti, and I are hosting a Cocktails and Conversations mixer for singles there with live matchmaking. And it will be so much fun. I cannot wait. (laughs) I love that. I can't wait to hear all about how that goes. So how will live matchmaking work at the Young Catholic Professionals Conference? Well, the single people who are single will get a little wristband for this event particularly. And then we will have different cards for men, different cards for women. And there will be a number on each of the cards that will pair the the couples together, but there will be questions on the other side that people can ask each other. And it will be a game of, if if you get answer these correct, it will kind of be like a bingo card type thing. And then they win something, but it will be really just a way for people to get to know each other a little more. Alessandra and I will be getting to know people. We'll be able to make our own live matches. If we feel like people should connect, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I love that. So that's a Young Catholic Professionals Conference coming up this April. We'll post a link to it on social media. You guys are there doing a matchmaking extravaganza. I love that. And I was also thinking this. We had a question come in last week. Someone said, if you were single today, where would you go to meet people? And 
I said this, I really mean it. Same idea, the Young Catholic Professionals Conference. Go to conferences, major Catholic conferences that have national draws from people all over the country, and you'll find single Catholics there. Because I hear women and men all the time say, I know everyone in my area, there's no one available. Well, then go to these big events. And another huge event is the National Eucharistic Conference coming up this summer in Indiana. And I'd love to see you there. I'll be there. And I think it's a great place to look again for people without rings and just spark up conversations, get to know people. So that's another idea as well. But let's dive into tip number five. What's your fifth tip? It's go shopping. Ah. <laughs> get good, yes. Get good date night looks. I, I say this again and again, form-fitting dresses for women, nicely fitted dark wash jeans and collared shirts for men. If you hate shopping, work with a stylist. It's just important to put your best foot forward when you're dating, to look great, to feel great. I love this. So go shopping. And I'll add to that. When you say go shopping, it's this idea of keeping your wardrobe spruced up. And every season of life when you do that, I've kind of hit this like wall where I've not been sprucing up my wardrobe the last few years. And you feel it. You start to lose confidence and comfort in what you're wearing. And if you're in that season of dating, you want to stay fresh. So I love that tip of going shopping. Thank you, Timory. That's those are my tips. That's professional professional matchmaker Christina Pineda here on Relevant Radio. If you have a question for our matchmaker today, she's in-house with free Catholic advice. So give her a call. The number is 888-914-9149. I hope you get in. We have lots of questions coming in, and she is great. So that number again is 888-914-9149, or you can also ask on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where I've tagged Christina Pineda and matchmakers in the city. So go send your questions in whether online or give us a call the good old-fashioned way we'll be right back also in just a little bit diving into what's the significance of the ashes we wear and what exactly is almsgiving So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. One of these days, we really have to throw in there the good old matchmaking song because in the house today is professional matchmaker Christina Pineda, and she's taking your questions. Free Catholic advice for dating and relationships. The number is 888-914-9149. Tons of questions flooding in on social media. You can ask now there on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. We put a question box up. Or give us a call the old-fashioned way, 888-914-9149. And by the way, we were talking a moment ago about what to do if you find yourself single today on St. Valentine's Day. Happy St. Valentine's Day. Uh, it's a great day to shake things up if you're single. So stay tuned on the podcast for those five tips from Christina that we just went through. But one of them you mentioned, Christina, was 
get good at going shopping, go shopping. And I love this. Actually, tomorrow here on Trending, we're going to have fashion designer Lillian Fallon on the show, and she'll dive into closet essentials you should have to keep your wardrobe fresh. So stay tuned because I think that's very helpful no matter what season of life you're in. But also, if you're in that single state and you're trying to navigate just how to stay confident and comfortable and update your wardrobe. So diving into some tough dating questions, Christina, Stacy from California said, should you ask what your boyfriend or girlfriend's home life was like and what their family dynamic was like? And is that something that should matter when you date someone? You should ask your boyfriend or girlfriend. I wouldn't ask someone before you get to a certain level with dating, I wouldn't ask that question on the first few dates. But if you're getting serious, I think that's a good thing to know about the person. And especially if you're discerning marriage with that person, you want to know that dynamic. You want to know what that person liked about the life that his he grew up with or would want to change because you and, and him will probably be if you get married, you'll be constructing a new life together and bringing your past experiences with you. I think it's a good question to ask. And mm-hmm. is it, a? I guess, if you, di- if you differ that much on a really important matters, it could be a problem. Yeah. Yep. And wounds, I mean, childhood wounds are a big deal and moving past them. I was just talking to a friend the other night, childhood wounds came up in her marriage, not until after she was married. And having to navigate those during married life is key. And sometimes that dating process can help bring to light some of these things that need to be brought into the light, bring healing, take it to our Lord. I think that's really key. Melissa in Kentucky asked, my boyfriend wants to do something more like courting. He wants to avoid things such as being alone with each other late at night and try to hang out in groups rather than just by ourselves. He will hold my hand but wants to wait to kiss me. This seems too old-fashioned to me. What should I do? Oh, this man is wonderful. That is great. I am just... I agree. Wow. Wow. And I know it's very countercultural, but I think this is a good thing. I think when you're he's dating you, he's courting you, that's a good thing to be very intentional on anything physical, even kissing. That's something that could come. So, Timree, did she say that he wants to wait on kissing till when? She just said wait. Wait. Okay. Some people wait until marriage. Mm-hmm. I don't, I guess it's, it's up to each couple, but if that's something you're not comfortable with, you could talk to him about it. I just, yeah. So if you would like to kiss him before the wedding day, that's, that's something that you could discuss with him. But I think the fact that he's being so intentional, so careful about these things is a good sign. Yeah. And just hearing this, I agree with you, like appreciate, appreciate what he's offering you and respect it because he's paying a great honor both to you as well as whoever his future wife is by not moving things too quickly, by saving things for marriage, even things that our culture doesn't save for marriage. And I would challenge to Christina, there maybe needs to be a little bit of self-evaluation on your part, Melissa. Uh, is there a reason why you dislike this or want to label it as old-fashioned? And what's wrong with old-fashioned? This is kind of one of the slogans we've always had for trending, that we have these eternal principles and truths 
that collide with everyday life. And I think there's something to be said of the old-fashioned way of courting. I love the old film, The Quiet Man. If you've ever seen it, a fantastic mm. film. And maybe it's something to consider, a beautiful love story that show, shows good old-fashioned uh, courting there. And just one other thought, and I know you and I have talked about this, Christina. If you're opposed to this old-fashioned courting, or maybe it seems old-fashioned to you, I challenge you to take stock of what you're consuming in terms of music, movies, people you're around, because that might be having a negative influence on how fast or slow you want to move a relationship along and what your expectations are. And if those quite line up with chastity, modesty, virtue, and what you want in a marriage one day as well. Definitely. I just spoke to a Magnify 90 group, which is kind of like Exodus 90, but for women who are doing a total social media cleanse for 90 days. And I talked about how important it is to step away from popular music, just movies, all these things can have a negative impact on your dating life. And that might be something to consider. I love it. Elaine in Washington asks, and by the way, if you're just joining us, that's professional matchmaker Christina Pineda. The question is from Elaine in Washington, what are ways a gal can, quote, unlearn modern feminist thinking and expectations and let a man lead? Hmm, that's good. That's a great question. I love that you're humble and you're wanting to go on that path because a lot of it's hard to admit that, yeah. I have some of these habits that are hard to break. And what are some ways, I guess, in terms of cultivating femininity is to take the time to get ready for things, to prep for things, to primp for things, to do your hair, do your makeup, to listen to music and dance, to do things that aren't productive, that in a, in a way of I'm not making money right now when I'm doing my makeup or I'm not it's a lot of our culture is so based on on what you can do and what you what how much money you make really and it's that's a very it's very hard for a feminine spirit to thrive in that environment so even if you're working during the day making sure you're giving enough buffer time before you go to an event or go to a date where you're really able to sink more into your femininity. That's one small way that I would suggest doing it. And just a thought when we discuss unlearning modern feminist thinking and expectations and paving the way for a man to lead, because that's the goal of, like, of what she's asking. And that's what the church teaches. You read some of the documents of the church just more recently, Cassie Kadumi back in the thir 1930s. And it says the man is the head of the home, the woman is the heart of the home. The man has a chief place in leading and the woman has a chief place in loving. And that's so contrary to feminist thinking and expectations. And what's the problem with feminist expectations and thinking? It's control. It really centers around control, that I have control of things. And I, I think that that idea of control comes from often a place of woundedness, of wounds that people have experienced. It comes from brain, being brainwashed, that I have to have a sense of control over everything from contraception to abortion. And I think humility is just so key, Christine. And we talk about unlearning feminist thinking of not always having to have our way, our opinion, and that's contrary to being a doormat. That's just, you're not forcing your way and your expectations in a way that is dominating. And I think that's really key. 
That's exactly true. George in New York asked, my girlfriend's really shy and is uncomfortable with sharing how she's really feeling. If she's mad at me, she doesn't like to tell me because she thinks she can just get over it and it'll be fine. How do I get her to open up and get comfortable with sharing things with me? Oh, George, that's a hard process, but that's beautiful that you care and want to get to know her heart and want to know what she's thinking, what she's feeling. And I think you probably will need to be repetitive with telling her that. I just want you to know I'm here. I want, I'm listening. I want to know what's on your mind. I want to know what's bothering you. It will help our relationship. It will help me. And then hopefully she will open up, but it might take some time. And I guess if someone I guess the problem is if someone isn't able to open up that she may not be ready to move to the next step of the relationship. So I would give it time, but also know that she may not be ready. What do you think, Timory? Yeah, this is something I was, I saw this question come in before the show for you. And I was just thinking how important trust and confidence are in relationships. And I get that he's saying that she's shy, but if she really trusts you, she should trust that she has the ability to confide, right? Like to share big things and little things, whether it's where she wants to eat on a particular day or what she's feeling or thinking in a particular moment. And so my mindset was starting small with little things like, hey, you choose where we're going to eat tomorrow night. So maybe give her time and let her know she's deciding. So give her the time warning to get past maybe some of her uneasiness and start with, with little things. And then help her to build that confidence in expressing. But at the same time, it's not your job to, of course, change someone or to also, quote, fix them. And I think that sometimes for certain personalities, for someone to be shy, the other spouse thinks they have to fix it. And there's a problem there. If there's that level of discomfort, it might be a sign that it might not work out or there might need to be maybe some peace with this is part of this person's personality as well, perhaps. Right. And I'd be careful with the whole passive aggressiveness if she's taking things out on you. So she won't tell you what it is, but then she's taking out things out on you in another way. Just pay attention to this stuff. Yeah, I think that's really keen insight. That's professional matchmaker Christina Pineda here on Trending. You can find find her at matchmakerchristinaconti.com. That's matchmakerchristina with a C, conti.com. One more question we had come in from Ronnie in Michigan. If a guy says one thing, but his actions say another thing, say he's Catholic, but isn't practicing in certain ways, what's the best way to call this out? Hmm. Well, that actions, as you know, actions speak louder than words. Someone can say they're one thing, but if they're not actually living that way, that's a problem. And like Timory said, it's not your job to change this person who you're dating, but you can in a kind way, if you are going on another date with that person and you'd like to say something, you can say that I love that you that you're Catholic and that's so wonderful. I did notice that you don't go to mass or whatever the situation is and I just don't know how that how how you're able to do that and still consider yourself Catholic. <laughs> that would be really 
awkward. But <laughs> you need blunt. to, if you yeah. want, <laughs> if you want to bring it up and you want to keep dating the person, it needs to come out. You can't keep dating someone who says that he is something and it's not actually, he isn't actually that thing. So you need to call it out in some way. But yeah, Timberry, what would you say? Oh, that's awkward. And even just you saying, like, calling it out, I love the bluntness. And just thinking male pride, if there's that direct confrontation, I mean, he might shut down, he might lie, he might get defensive. So I'm just thinking of a way Mm -hmm. to ask it. And maybe the better question might be, hey, you say you're Catholic, what does that Catholicism look like to you? Like, what practice does that look like? What would it look like if you're far enough in a dating relationship? What would that look like in a family? Or maybe start asking questions about what their Catholic family looked like. And, and there might be perhaps a gentler, more subtle ways to start the conversation and then have that more blunt, blunt conversation in the thick of that that isn't maybe too unexpected. Just maybe yes. thinking off yes. the cuff here, speaking off the cuff. That is, Timree, that's exactly what I would recommend, too, and making it more about him and what he what he thinks it is instead of making a judgment on him because then you can make a judgment for yourself whether you yeah. want to continue seeing him or not because it's not your job to change him. Oh, boy, this is bringing up a video that was sent to me the other day that I'm going to have to have to have you on again soon. This whole idea of someone having to be further along in their Catholic faith than you in order to date them. It's another topic for another day. In the meantime, check her out, matchmakerchristinaconti.com. That's matchmaker, Christina with a C, Conti spelled C-O-N-T-I dot com. I'll be right back here on Trending, diving into it's that season of Lent. What is almsgiving? I think that while the church asks us to engage in this three-part penance, this Lent for these next 40 days, what is it? Is it just tithing? Is it just giving to the poor? We'll dive into that along with the significance of the ashes we received and are carrying on our foreheads today. talking about what you're thinking about you're listening to trending with timory on relevant radio and the relevant radio app What's the significance of the ashes we receive and what is almsgiving? Two great questions. And yes, it is St. Valentine's Day. We haven't forgot about him. Did you know he's a man, not a woman? Did you know that he was sentenced to a brutal three-part death and he was tortured? I told the whole story on Trending yesterday, so go catch a podcast just a few minutes long, relevantradio.com forward slash trending, where, wherever you catch your podcasts, or even better, the free Relevant Radio app. It's new, improved. If you haven't downloaded it, be sure to check it out. We pray with you there. There is everything from listening to your rosary to mass to the great shows here on Relevant Radio. But what is almsgiving? 
Well, almsgiving is something we're being told we need to do this Lent. It's one of three things considered in acts of penance, prayer, fasting, and last almsgiving. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that prayer, fasting, and almsgiving express conversion in relation to oneself, to God, and others. So in other words, exercising almsgiving leads and is a part of the expression of our conversion. And, ha- and it's seen as an action in relation to how we interact with ourselves, God, and other people. It's referred to, as the Catechism says, as the interior penance of the Christian. Giving alms is a call to conversion at the end of the day. And Grant, sure, we can do things for looks and admiration. We can do things because we really care. But at the end of the day, as we're engaging in almsgiving, we're called to have a sense of concern for the poor, sense of justice. I kept thinking as I was preparing the show, all I could think of was the Disney cartoon movie of Robin Hood. Alms for the poor, alms for the poor, when Robin Hood's dressed up in disguise. But that's what it is. Alms is oriented toward the poor, but is it just the physically impoverished or is it the spiritually as well? Well, you read your Bible, you read the life and works of Jesus Christ, and he indicates that it's the spiritually poor as well. And so we're called to give to others who are less fortunate than ourselves, but also others who need things, physical things, your time, your listening ear. In Matthew 25, verse four, chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And if you think about it, when you look at much of the work of Jesus, time and time again, he was calling the adults, the apostles, to pay attention to children. And I don't think we necessarily in our culture think of children as poor. I mean, they are. They're completely dependent on their parents. And there is this certain simplicity of giving in that time to children. Alms can be exercised in many ways, from giving to the hungry, those who are sick, impoverished, who've fallen on hard times. And I think that almsgiving can help us to detach ourselves from materialism. This is a key part of almsgiving. I remember not long after Pope Francis entered into his papacy, he spoke of the culture of waste, the throwaway culture that we live in. And it's true. I mean, how often do you use a Ziploc bag for a minor thing and throw it in the trash? How often do you just use disposable things to clean your home? I really took those words to heart that we not just have a culture of waste, a throwaway culture that we're engaging in. Why is that significant? It's significant because it starts with the very fact that we've entered into a culture, a throwaway culture with human beings as well. I think about how detached we have to be from other people that we commit the number of abortions at the rate we do. That it's even something fathomable and legal in this country and in many others, with the United States being the most pro-abortion and permissive when it comes to abortion in the whole world. And there are a lot of examples that we could take of almsgiving, whether it's giving our money to various charities or giving to people on the side of the road who are in need. It might be donating food and clothes. It's something I really tried to take to heart with children and family. 
you receive so many things that come into your home out of the generosity of others. And just as time goes by, whether it's St. Valentine's Day, Easter, Christmas, a birthday, a birthday party that you've gone to, party favors, uh, things that people give you. And I really take into heart if I don't need it or if it's not something that I really love or if it's just going to add to clutter and mess in my house, even toys. I don't keep all the toys that we receive. I often give away brand new toys and I'm big on donating them to thrift stores. Why? I think there's something really significant there. And while I love shopping at thrift stores too, because I love a good deal, thrift stores are a place where many people shop who don't have very much. And it's a place where people can actually receive things in perfect brand new condition. So I really do try to take seriously the fact that I don't need this. I can give some of this away. Or even perhaps I just received a bunch of new socks for Christmas. I have a bunch of socks that are in good condition, but I can give, I don't need as much as I have. I can clear that out because there are other people who need it and can pick that up at a much lower cost to them. Another means of almsgiving can include volunteering, giving of your time, humbly, or maybe even giving in particularly particular skill to a cause. We have to set our pride aside. I've often worked to where volunteers want to do things their way and take control of a particular nonprofit and support. We're willing to give our time and skills humbly as needed. Other examples of giving alms could be providing housing, medical support, education, even emotional and spiritual support. In fact, tomorrow here on Trending, we'll dive into the spiritual and corporal works of mercy and how those are a key part of almsgiving. But isn't it so interesting that all of these things, whether it's feeding the hungry, going to a soup kitchen, helping to care for the sick, engaging with those who are less fortunate than you, even those difficult conversations of people who need you, that all of that takes time. And I think at the end of the day, when we think about almsgiving, it requires our time. And this is why the church calls us to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving as those that trifecta of penances that leads to interior conversion. It's the penance of the Christian. And ultimately, at the end of the day, giving alms is a call to conversion. And it's us expressing that in how we interact with others, how we navigate the discomfort even of almsgiving. So more tomorrow on the spiritual and corporal works of mercy and how they're a part of almsgiving and how we're called by the church to engage in that three full penance of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving this Lenten season. And if you're still trying to decide what to do this Lent, what to give up, what to add on, I hope you'll listen to my podcast yesterday here on Trending where I took a deep dive into if you're struggling with what to decide to give up, start with doing some soul searching of what is that predominant sin in your life and how can you enter into prayer, fasting, and almsgiving to let the mercy and love of Jesus Christ transform you and convert you, to let go of that sin. And it might even be something that you have become such a habitual sinner at. We all do it, that we've forgotten that it's even a sin. We don't even confess it. We don't even think of it as wrong. Today on Ash Wednesday, one of the questions that I don't hear often enough and something you rarely hear from the pulpit is what's the significance of the ashes we receive? I remember growing up, we would be out and about perhaps on Ash Wednesday, whether it was grocery shopping, 
running to the mall. It might be even going through the drive-thru. I remember one time going through the drive-thru and my mom's, you know, rolled down the window pain and the person working the drive-thru says, oh, is it Ash Wednesday? She said, yep, it sure is. He goes, I gotta go get my ashes. I remember my siblings, when they were little, they went to a private Protestant school and they don't have Lent. They don't have ashes. And my siblings would all go with their lash ashes to school, and so many people would be so intrigued by it. They loved it. They loved the idea of Lent. My siblings were little Catholics there evangelizing, encouraging their whole classes to give up something for Lent. But especially that response when people see you with ashes of, oh, I've got to go get my ashes, I think is a reminder of how intuitive penance is, how intuitive ashes are. This is what they signify. And it's pretty beautiful in a culture we live in, while pride is so predominant, that humility is still there. That while some might wear their ashes proudly as a means to say, hey, I'm Catholic and I'm really Catholic because I've got this big cross on my forehead. Or as a means of humility, of being embarrassed to wear ashes out in public. Or as a sign of dependence and need for God's mercy. I think all of this is key. I remember, I'll never forget, I was in grad school and one of my classmates, it was Ash Wednesday, and we got out of class real late. It was about 10 p.m. at night and we're driving home and my friend calls me on the way home and I said, hey, okay, what's going on? Because we had just left the school probably 10, 15 minutes before. And she said, so remember what I did after I got my ashes today? And I remember cracking up, just laughing at her <laughs> after mass. We had gone to mass and she had her ashes and she went immediately to the bathroom after mass and she smeared her ashes, took a Q-tip. She did the whole deal and made her ashes this ginormous, perfect cross on her forehead that she proudly wore all day. And we were just cracking up. And here we are at a Catholic school. Is it really that important? No one's even going to see you other than the people at school. And lo and behold, she's driving toward the freeway. And I think she ran a red light and also was driving too quickly. And she got pulled over by a cop. And she said, I just felt like the biggest failure of a Catholic. Because here I was so concerned with how my ashes looked. To have that big stamp that, hey, I'm Catholic. Make sure you know. I ran a stop sign doing a traditional California roll. Thought it was okay because it was late at night. And I was driving too fast. And it was the dose of humility that I needed that that was the day I would be busted. And here this police officer is looking at me with this prim little cross on my forehead. And it was just so important that I be reminded in that moment of not being prideful and a show off when it comes to ashes. But here's what's neat. When we think about ashes, ashes, we, we hear the words, you remember them, repent and believe in the gospel. Or remember you were dust, and to dust you shall return. You usually see hear some rendition of one of the two of those. I always kind of feel like I should be slapped when I get that. You know what confirmation they used to slap you at your confirmation, the bishop would? <laughs> Instead of just dust on your forehead, I almost feel like you need like a good smack when you hear that. Like, remember you were dust, and to dust you shall return. Or repent and believe in the gospel. It might be a little bit of a, a more of a wake-up call if we got that. But the ashes are a sign, and our faith is so centered around symbols. Symbols that affect more than the symbol that it is. The sacraments have both the sign of the sacrament, the bread and wine, the appearance of bread and wine, but they're not. They're truly transubstantiated into 
the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the sign there with the ashes, it's a sign of mortality, that we're not immortal. No matter how hard the transhumanist pro brain chip culture Neuralink might be, we're not immortal. We're mortal. We will die. Everyone must face their death. Which, by the way, great book on death is Preparation for Death. Fantastic Lenten book. If you've still not decided what to do, I love that book. I talked someone into doing that this Lent recently. It's so good. It's life-changing. I pick it up time and time again because it's a stark reminder of our mortality. Also, there's this need for repentance that I think is a part of that sign, that twofold mortality, but also a need for repentance and redemption in Christ alone. So while the ashes might just be a sign for us, we might be shamed to wear them in public. You might wipe them off. You might wear them proudly, or you might wear this, again, shamefully. They're a reminder that we're entering into the season of Lent that is the season of preparation for Christ's passion. They were called to enter into Christ's death, to be converted, to do penances for our very own sins. The symbols should be a reminder for us to set aside time to plan what we'll do this Lent prayerfully, to execute it. But also remember what we're being called to is holiness. And to be holy means to be set apart. And so let that be the reminder As we enter into the Lenten season, we receive the ashes, or maybe you wish you had, you weren't able to today, that this is a sign to enter us into this season of total dependence on God and complete and utter conversion. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Thursday, I'll be joined by fashion designer Lillian Fallon on diving into closet essentials you should have to keep your wardrobe fresh. We'll take a deep dive as well into the spiritual and corporal works of mercy to help us with how to exercise the penance of almsgiving this Lent. Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central, on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.